are in John chapter 6. And I kind of want to, you know, John brings who Jesus is uh, in several different ways. If you'll remember uh, back in uh, John chapter 3, Jesus talked to a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And what did he say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. And Nicodemus is kind of like going, how do I do that? And he says, oh, it hasn't, it's not, you don't have to be born again physically. You've got to be born again spiritually. And then in chapter 4, we see him uh, as he, he talks to uh, the woman at the well. Or excuse me, in chapter 4, he, he shows us that he's the healer. And he heals several different people. And then in chapter 5, he meets who? He meets the woman at the well. And he says, I am the living water. Well, in chapter 6, we're gonna, he's introducing us to the concept that he is the bread of life. He's the bread of life. Now, why is, you, you say, well, why, why is all of this important? How long can a person live without water? They say about three days. You know, that's one of the first things the survival people tell you. Find a source of water. You've got to have a source of water. Three days. How long can a person go without food? Well, some people like me, we can last a long time. <laughs> they say two to three months. Two to three months, a person can live without food. And so when Jesus is presenting these things to us, what is he really saying? He says, I am the very essence of life. You, you cannot get eternal life without me, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's saying, if you truly want to live... You need to have the source of life, which is Jesus Christ. So in John chapter 6, we're going to see, first of all, the feeding of the 5,000. And we'll take, we'll take a few things out of this feeding I want us to get a hold of. And then he's going to talk to the reaction to three different groups of people and how they reacted when he taught them what this really meant. So let's look at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and let's look at this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And when Jesus went up on the mountain... And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he intended to do. And Philip answered him, 
200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to have even a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these among so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those that were seated. Otherwise, also, likewise, the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragment, fragments from the five barley loaves and they were left, that were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who came into the world. Now, one of the principles when you're studying the Bible is to get a visual. And I want, you to, I want to help you do that today because sometimes when we get a visual of what's going on, it really helps us understand. Remember when we talked about uh, when Jesus was at the, the well with the Samaritan woman and he was, the disciples came back and the woman had ran into town to tell all the men of what Jesus had done? And it said there was four months to the harvest. But Jesus said, look out on the fields and see that it is white unto harvest. And what were they seeing? They were seeing the white turbans of the men that were coming out. And he says, you, you guys are talking about food. I'm talking about the harvest of souls. And he says, I'm going to send you into that harvest. And indeed, they spent two days in Samaria, talking to these people and, and, and leading them to, the, to Jesus. And sometimes we need a visual. Now, I want you to catch what's going on here. They've been preaching and healing, and they've come across the, the uh, Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. It's about 12 miles across. And so they've come across on boat, and the crowd follows. Some of them are walking around the seashore to get where they're at. Some of them jumped into boats and followed. And they get there. And Jesus goes up on the side of the hill. Him and his apostles, the twelve, maybe some of the other disciples are up there with him. And they're looking down. And it says that it's a big grassy, almost like a grassy bowl in front of them. And he's looking down and all of these people are starting to filter up. Jesus is going to preach. He is going to share. And he's taken this place of prominence so that as he speaks, everyone can hear. And so Jesus and Philip are sitting up here, up on top. And he says to Philip, Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all of these people? Now, now it's a loaded question, isn't it? Where, 
where are we going to go get something for all of these people? He said there's about 5,000 men, so we can, we can say pretty safely that there's probably 15 to 20,000 people when you start counting women and children that, that would have come. But there, so there's 5,000 men. He said, where are we going to get McDonald's hamburgers for all of these guys? And they may have had a budget meeting earlier, right? How much money is in our sack? Because we know that Judas was the treasurer because he was kind of siphoning stuff out on the side himself. But Jesus, Judas may have said, we have 200 denarii in, in, our, in our account right now. And so Philip says, well, even 200 denarii. I mean, that's, that's almost, you know, two-thirds of a year's wages. It's a lot of money. Wouldn't even buy people a little bit. And, and Philip's like going, and even, and think about it. Where are they going to go to buy enough food for that many people? Jesus is saying, I've got something up my sleeve. Are you guys ready? Are you, hold on to this. And, and Andrew, Andrew's like, he, he's the practical one, right? Who's, who's got some food? You want to, we're having a picnic. Who's got food to share? It's kind of like going out to the farm, right? If you didn't bring any, somebody's got enough to feed you. That's one of the nice things about, about you know, Christian, Christians when they have potlucks. There's usually enough for everybody. And, and some more. So, and that's what Andrew's like going, well, we got this kid. He's the only one that came prepared. He was one of the Boy Scouts. He left home with five loaves and two fishes. And, and Jesus is looking at them and says, I'm sitting here. You guys, you guys don't understand? What have we just been doing? If I can heal people, if I can cast demons out, you think I can feed these people? They were, weren't looking at the right source. There are times when Jesus stretches our faith. There are times when he says, you're looking in the wrong direction. You're thinking about what's in my wallet. You know, how much is left on my visa card before I hit the max? And Jesus is saying, you're looking in the wrong direction. You're, you need to be asking, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with all of these people? Because we can't do it. Even if we had the money, it would take, how long would it take to bake enough bread for 5,000 men, much less all the women and children, for 15,000 people? How long would it take? Uh, that would be a couple days probably. Because we're talking about little villages. We're not talking about commercial bakeries. How long would it take? And he says, he says, guys, just watch. Just watch. Make everybody sit down. Come here, young man. Bring me your five loaves and two fishes. Imagine that little kid. He walks up there. Here you go. Mom, mom told me, you know, wanted to make sure I had enough. 
here's my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And Jesus just starts going. And he's handing it out. He's handing Fish is going out. Everybody's eating. Now, understand that Jesus wanted to stretch their faith. He says, watch and see what happens. And uh, second thing I want you to see is that God supplies abundantly. How much did Philip said, if we went out and bought all of this bread, people would only have a little bit. And isn't that the way we are sometimes in our faith? Oh God, could I have a Ford Pinto? <laughs> and, and God says, well, I had in mind for you a Chrysler 500. But if you want a Ford Pinto, you know, sometimes we forget that God wants us to live abundantly. I mean, think about this little boy. Mommy sent him with five loaves and two fishes so he wouldn't go hungry. I don't know where mom was, but he's got these five loaves and two fishes. And when he gets all done, what does Jesus do? He picks up 12 loaves, or 12 baskets full of bread. Now, I, it doesn't say what they did with them, but it, I have a very fertile imagination. So this is just on Ben. Okay? This is kind of what I think happened. As Jesus said, hey, young man, come here. Thank you so much for sharing your five loaves and two fishes. All these apostles, these 12 apostles, they each have a basket. They're going to follow you home so that, so that we can deliver this back to your mom and dad. And you guys have 12 baskets because you shared you're one. That's kind of what I see. You imagine this little boy walking. Hi, Mom, I'm home. Guess what? I got visitors. Here's a basket. Here's a basket. Here's a basket. Twelve of them. That's how God supplies. God does not supply a little bit. He supplies abundantly. John 10.10 10 will tell us, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. You see, a lot of people will look at Christians, oh, these poor Christians, you know, they give all their money to the church and they, you know, they're just, you know. This is the way we live. If we truly believe we live with abundance, not that, not we're, that we're living in the big house on the hill, but, but God blesses us so much that we're able to touch people with what he gives us. We need to give abundantly. The, the other thing I want you to see, not only does God bless us abundantly, but that God uses what is available. God uses what's available. What'd they have? Got a little boy with five loaves and two fishes. 15, 20,000 people sitting out here. God says, I got this. He uses what's available. And the question is, are we available? The ability that God is most concerned about is our availability followed by our dependability 
then he will give us whatever ability we need to do his work. Availability is first. Dependability is second. And after that, God will give you the ability. The ability. I mean, if, if God can use a kid from Waterloo, Oregon that had a speech impediment to be a preacher, he can use anybody. I just had to be available. And sometimes God gets our attention in some pretty rough ways and, and God kind of had to smack me up the side of the head and say, are you paying attention? Will you be available? And once I said yes, then he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go all the way to Lynchburg, Virginia to get your college education. I had never been on an airplane. First time I got on an airplane, I flew from here. I think we, we landed in Charlotte, North Carolina. Then we got on a puddle jumper. I mean, this thing never made it more than 5,000 in air. We landed three times between Charlotte, North Carolina, and Lynchburg, Virginia, and it's less than 300 miles. I mean, we were doing this. I, I, was, I, got, I was so glad to be there. And I lived in Oregon. I got there in August 15th, if I remember correctly. Middle of August in Virginia. Anybody been there? 90 and 90. 90 degrees and 90% humidity. And I thought, what in the world have I done? But, but dependability. I spent the next four years there. Going to college. Learning what God wanted me to do. And, then, and it was through that that God says, okay, now you have the ability. I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you. And, and he has. The ability that God is most concerned about is our availability followed by our dependability. Then he will give us whatever ability we need to do his work. You see, God will do that. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. What does that mean? That means we need to be available because God, if we make ourselves available, you will be amazed at the people that God will bring into your life so that you can share Jesus Christ with. So that you can share with them who God is and what he's done in your life. Well, the, the next section is, if you, in your Bibles, it probably says, and Jesus walks on water. In, six through, uh, in chapter 6, 15 through 25, Jesus walks on water. Now, I've preached on this previously, and, uh, and it really demands its own sermon, and so we're going to skip it. So if, you're, if you came today thinking, oh, man, Ben's going to talk on walking on water. I want to walk on water. 
it really, it's, it would take its own sermon. So we're going to take this out to follow the rest of this chapter, which is truly Jesus' teaching on the bread of life. So I'm sorry, we'll come back to it another time. Uh, I, I will indeed preach on Jesus walking on water. It is one of, the, one of the few miracles that is in all four of the Gospels, so there's a lot that comes into the walking on the water. So we'll come back to that. But I want you to look how Jesus responds to the, to the four different groups. He's, gonna, he's first going to talk to the crowd. These are people who are following him. Not all of them are Jewish. Some of them are Gentiles. Some of them are Samaritans. He has been going up through. The, there, we know that there's Romans that followed him. All different kinds of people were following. And in, in verses 26 through 40, he kind of rebukes them. Look at 26. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He says, you're not, you're not coming because you want, you want to hear the word. You're not coming because you believe I'm the Messiah. You're coming because you're hungry. And, and if we looked at the, if we look back, we, these people, Jesus goes from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and he's going to, these people, some of them jumped in boats to get there. Some of them walked around. They, they're coming because, hey, I, I want to have something to eat. This, guy, this guy's feeding us. Man, let's go. Easy food. And Jesus rebukes him. He said, you're coming because you want bread. And then he says something interesting. In verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but for food which endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Hey, teach us this little thing about how to make bread appear out of nothing. We want to do this. How do we work to get this? Because isn't that the way of the world? Oh, if I work, if I work, God's going to see all my works. And, and he's going to be happy with me. I got news for you. You cannot work your way to heaven. There's no way. There's nothing we can do to work our way into heaven. And you're like, going, well, last week you told us that one of these days God's going to judge all the Christians by their works. Indeed. But that has nothing to do with your salvation. You see, salvation comes from one place. Ephesians 2 tells us, for by 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We ought to put a hard stop, period, exclamation park. <laughs> right there, right? Not of works. Why? Lest anyone would boast. But what does it say? For we are his workmanship. We're his works created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, works have nothing to do with your salvation. It's a gift of God through, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. But once you're saved, what should God be doing? He should be working in your life, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Did you know that God has people prepared to come in your life? All you got to do is pay attention. You need, feel those heavenly nudges. Hey, you need to make a telephone call. You need to stop and help that person. One of the things I used to love to do as a cop, because this would just, people would blow their mind, is I would be driving along, and I'd see somebody doing something, and usually it was something they were struggling at, and I would just pull up, park my patrol car, hop out, hey, can I help you with that? I remember one day, one day I'm driving along, this guy is trying to drywall his garage. The garage door is up. He's trying to do it by himself. Now, ladies, you, you probably won't. Oh, you do. Okay. Okay, you built the house. All right. Shirley knows what's going on. A, a four by eight sheet of drywall, and you're trying to get it up, and then tack it in so it stays there. And I see that he's in, he's in his garage doing this thing. You know, and I just pull my pro car up and I jump out and I run in there. Here, let me, let me take this in. Go get your screw gun. You know, he, he looked at me. He said, what in the world are you doing? He said, well, I saw you needed something. And God just told me to stop. And he's like, what? You're a policeman. I said, that's all right. I'm, I, I'm God's child first. You know, we, we, we have these opportunities just to interject into people's lives. Now, I don't know what happened with that guy. I don't know if what I did made one iota of difference in his life. But what I do know is it sure gave me a good illustration for Sunday morning. God uses us. He prepares for and how. But how does that happen? Titus 3, 4, and 5 says this. But when... The kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Now watch this. By the washing of the regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. So God says, hey. I'm going to save you and then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is going to not only regenerate you for salvation, he's going to renew you so that you can do everything I'm going to ask you to do. 
as long as you surrender to him. He says, I want you to understand the Holy Spirit is there to work in your life. When I talk about Holy Spirit nudges, I want you to, I want you to open up your Holy Spirit ears. Listen to what God's saying to you. In James 2.18 it says, But someone may very well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You cannot work your way into heaven. And he tells these guys, there's nothing you can, the only thing that you can do, he tells the crowd, is believe in me. Because I am the bread of life. I'm the one who came to give you life. Look at verses 28 and 29 again. What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. He said, you need to look to me. I'm the one. He said, and then he goes on and he, and he says, you guys all heard about the manna. Anybody know what manna means in Hebrew? What's it? What's it? What is it? Isn't that cool? They're running around for 40 years saying, what's it? We're having what's it for dinner. Wouldn't you love that? You come in, honey, what's for dinner? What's it? But he said, all of those years, for 40 years, I provided manna in the desert. God, the Father, provided manna in the desert for 40 years. And all those people died. I'm providing you the bread of life so that you can live eternally. You will never die if you take the bread of life. Now there's a little section here that causes a lot of people a little bit of consternation. I'm going to read it to you because there are some pieces in here that a lot of people will use to, uh, to talk about election, things like election, and irresistible grace. Uh, and so I'm going to read this to you. We're going to talk about this for just a minute. Verses 35 through 40. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I have said to you, said that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up in the last days. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I myself will raise them up in the last day. And there's a lot of people who will talk to you about irresistible grace, that the Father calls, and you, can't re you cannot resist that. People will talk about election, and, and they'll say only the elect are going to come to Jesus. And there's, a lot, there's other verses that are applied to that. And it's in the Bible. 
It's there. But I also know this. The free will of man is there. Did you catch the last verse? For this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have what? Eternal life. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you, oh, this is exactly how free will of man and, and election, it's exactly how they run side by side. I can't. Because I don't think God wants us to fathom that. I think when we get to heaven, it's going to be totally clear to us. God's going to say, this is how election works, and this is how free will works. It all works together. But here's what I know. I am going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ like it all matters on me that I'm the one that he is calling to preach. I'm the one that he's sending me. now. And, and if they are the elect, hallelujah. Because I don't know which ones are and aren't. But I know that I have the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ through the entire world. Because that's what God has called me to do. And I am not going to get caught up in some, well, I'm not going to do that because they may not be the elect. Because I have no way of knowing that. God did not give me that knowledge. So I need to approach every person like God's calling them. And I need to get right in the middle of that and say, here's Jesus. This is who you need to know. Well, we're going to go on into John chapter 6, 41 through 59. And I'm just going to summarize this. This is the Jewish followers. This is the people that have read the Old Testament. And they know all about what the signs of Messiah should be. And they get hung up on something. They get hung up on who his mom and dad are. <laughs> they say, uh, he's talking to the Jews and they're grumbling and about him saying, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they're saying, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does he say, I came down out of heaven? They get hung up on, on the fact that Jesus came down in human form. See, they were expecting a, a, a king to come down and, and run all the Romans out and, and set their nation in order. And also, that was a little baby in a manger, born to to uh, this young lady named Mary and this carpenter named Joseph. They watched him grow up. But you know, the funny thing is, nobody ever went and asked Mary. And she would have told them, the angel came. And she, she, she would have said, the angel came, and this child's of the Holy Spirit. But they didn't ask her. They just said, oh, we know who he is. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? They get hung up on, the, on the, the, the minutia of who he is. And so Jesus says, hey, watch this, guys. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have eternal life. Ho, 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 these are Jewish people. In Leviticus chapter 17, it says this, And any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them who eats any blood... 
I will set my face against that person who eats the blood, and I will cut him off from among his people. For the life of flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason that the life that makes atonement. Oh, he just offended every one of them. Man, it's not, I mean, it's even worse than saying, I want you to be cannibals, right? He says, you, you will be unclean. If you drink blood, they, they put you out. You're, you're not welcome anymore. And he says to these Jews, now what is he saying? Is he saying, Do you, you actually going to eat my flesh and drink? No. He is not saying for them to become cannibals. What he is saying to them is, guys, you have to spiritually cut yourself off from everything you've known. Spiritually, you have to leave religion and come to the relationship with me. You cannot get to the Father by continuing to go to the altar and offer your sacrifices. And where is he pointing? Where did Jesus sacrifice his flesh and blood? On the cross. He says, you guys will understand when you see the cross and you see what I go through for your sin, then you will understand that the only way you're going to come to God is through me. And he, he tells these guys, and they are truly, truly offended. In verse 53, it says, uh, 52, it says, And the Jews began to argue with one another. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have lives yourself. And in 58, he says, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as your fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. He's saying, I'm offering you eternal life. I'm not offering you the blood of sacrifices that lasts until next year. They had a day of atonement once a year. And when, when the day of atonement would come, the priest would put his hand on the goat and he would kill one and the other they would send out. And they would do that once a year for all the sins of Israel. He says, it's going to be done. I will be that sacrifice. Well, the last ones that he talks to are his disciples. In 6, verses 60 through 71, he turns to his disciples says he was teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum and many of his disciples now don't get this mixed up we have the 12 that we call the apostles and we have disciples which are all of those people who are followers they have been following him to learn not just to eat they've been following him to learn they call him rabbi he is their teacher and he was teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum and many of the disciples when they heard this. This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious of his disciples grumbling at this, says, does this, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
It is the spirit that gives life and flesh profits nothing. The words which I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you that do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning that there were those who did not believe and who who was that would betray him. And he was saying this, For this reason I have said to you, no one can come to me unless they are granted to him from the Father. As a result, many of the disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have believed, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve was going to betray him. Sometimes the Bible asks us to do hard things. It asks us to believe hard things. He he said, if you guys are going to follow me, you're going to leave everything behind. It It is going to cause you to lose your business. Simon and Andrew, James and John were fishermen. They walked away from it all. Matthew was a tax collector. He not only left his business working for the Romans, he left the Jewish faith so that he could come to be one of the, one of the apostles. And we could look at that. And he says, Even, I understand this, guys. The 12 that I selected, one is going to leave. One is going to walk away. One of the hardest things that a pastor faces is when somebody leaves the faith. Somebody walks away from the church and they said, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. And as a pastor, we go and, and we say, what, what, what happened? And most of the time they won't talk about it. Maybe they do. But when somebody walks away, that is hard. I, I can't imagine what it was like for Jesus knowing that one of the 12 that were seated at the table with him at the Last Supper was going to betray him. Betrayal is one of the worst things that can ever happen to a person. And if you've been betrayed, you know what it's like. And he says you need to make a decision. And in verse 66, what did some of them do? Some of them chose to walk away. They left. It was too hard for them. But I love what Peter said. In verse 68. Now Peter is one of those guys that can stick his foot in his mouth all the way down to the tonsils. I mean, this guy could do that on a regular basis. But there were times when Peter hit the nail on the head 
Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where, do, where can we go? I have only Jesus to go to. I have only him to hold on to. He is the one thing in my life that is solid and beyond reproach. He's the one thing in my life that I can hold on to. And I can say, you know what? Though the world fall apart. What did Job say? Job lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his business. He was sitting, he lost his health, and he's sitting on a mound of, of ashes scraping. And what did he say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Because he knew that God was the only one. Who, to whom shall we go? We can only trust in our Savior.